This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. For over 15 years, the IBM Center for the Business of Government has sought to connect research to practice, engaging authors and academics who, in their research and studies, contribute in some form or fashion to changing the way government does business. For the first time, the next president will benefit from legislation that promotes multi-year planning to shape the direction of federal agencies at the onset of a new administration. A 2010 law requires all agencies to prepare new four-year strategic plans in the first year of each administration. First drafts of these plans are due to the Office of Management and Budget, OMB, in June of 2017. What are quadrennial planning reviews? How have four federal departments adopted the use of quadrennial planning reviews to inform the development of their strategic plans? What can agencies that currently conduct quadrennial reviews do better? And what lessons can be learned for all federal departments as they develop their strategic plans? Today we'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Professor Jordan Tama of American University, author of the IBM Center Report, Maximizing the Value of Quadrennial Strategic Planning. Welcome to the show, Jordan. It's great to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Jordan, the new administration taking office in 2017 will want government agencies to execute the president's priorities. A critical step in the execution of presidential priorities is the production of government strategic plans that provide a framework for government action. Would you tell us more about the Government Performance and Results Modernization Act of 2010, also known as GPRA Modernization Act, Uh, What does it require of every major federal agency? So that law, the GIPRA Modernization Act, is really meant generally to promote good governance practices throughout the government, government efficiency, government effectiveness, and it's an updating of a previous law, the Government Performance and Results Act, that was enacted in 1993. And so these two laws together kind of are the foundation for modern, you know, current government practices in the area of how to manage effectively. And um, the laws generally outline requirements for setting goals, measuring progress toward achieving those goals for government agencies, and also reporting the results of that, reporting uh, the extent to which government agencies are achieving their goals. And so a foundation of all of that is the production of what are called agency strategic plans. So each agency has to, at least each large agency, has to produce um, a strategic plan every four years. And those strategic plans are due in the February of the second year of a presidential term. So um, the next one will be due in February 2018. So each large agency 
by February 2018, um, has to produce a strategic plan. And that timeline is meant to sync up with the preparation of um, the annual budget since the federal government's budget is also due um, at that time. Uh, so that's the idea. And then there are other requirements that, you know, things that have to happen after that in terms of um, annual um, reports on the extent to which uh, goals that have been set out are being achieved. So why is it a good time? I mean, you mentioned in your report that you did for the IBM Center that it's a good time to consider the value of different ways of producing agency strategic plans. Why? And perhaps you could identify those different approaches. Sure. So it's a good time because of the February 2018 deadline, which is going to be coming up for um, quadrennial strategic plans to be issued. So every agency will have to have a strategic plan by February 2018 or else they'll be in, they won't be in compliance with this law. Um, so that means they at this point have, you know, only about a year to do this. And in order to produce a strategic plan really well, you have to put a lot of time in it. It's not something that can just be kind of thrown together in a few weeks if you want it to really be meaningful and to be based on a serious assessment of the agency's environment, trends that are occurring that uh, relate to the agency, um, et cetera. So um, agencies really need to be starting to work on this you know, as soon as they can. And there are a couple general models that could be used to produce a plan like this. I'd say very generally speaking, there are two different ways that this has been done, although every agency really does it in a different way. So there's really dozens of different ways that agencies are producing these strategic plans. But to generalize a bit, um, it can be done in a way that's relatively informal or a more highly structured way. So um, many agencies produce these strategic plans with a process that involves um, the agency's strategy office or policy office. These offices have different names and different agencies, but uh, usually there's an office that is responsible for policy generally or strategy generally. And this office, through um, its own assessments and talking with people throughout the agency, can put together a, a strategic plan. And they can put a lot of thought into that, but it's not necessarily a highly structured process. Alternatively, an agency could use something which in the case of a few agencies has been called a quadrennial review to provide the foundation for a strategic plan. And in that case, the agency is conducting a very highly structured process involving working groups um, of stakeholders throughout the agency, people from you know the different components of the agency participate in these working groups. Um, there's um, mechanisms for formal consultation with stakeholders outside the agency, people from the private sector or state and local agencies, whomever outside the agency is relevant. And there are studies that are done through this quadrennial review where these could be commissioned studies or other kind of formal studies to try to assess what are the risks facing the agency, long-term trends facing the agency, and what are uh, different, you know, trade-offs in pursuing different uh, strategic approaches going forward. Um, and so that's that's what has gone by the name of the quadrennial review model. Yeah, and actually, you know, that's what your title of the, of the work you've done for the IBM Center is maximizing the value of quadrennial strategic planning. And I, I would like to ask more about the history yeah. of uh, the quadrennial review, uh, strategic review model. When did it start? What's its inception? So it started in the 1990s um, when... Congress passed a law that requires the Defense Department to do a quadrennial defense review. So this is the, the first of these quadrennial reviews that was set up. And 
Um, since then, the model has spread to other parts of the federal government. Actually, the next place where um, it was instituted was instituted was the intelligence community. There was a quadrennial intelligence community, um, quadrennial intelligence community review that was done a few times. That's been discontinued, actually. And that one was classified, so it's a bit different in some ways. Um, and then more recently, um, there was a quadrennial homeland security review that was mandated by Congress that uh, Department of Homeland Security does. The State Department initiated just through its own uh, decision, a quadrennial diplomacy and development review, and that, that was not mandated by Congress. And um, then most recently, the White House, um, under President Obama, initiated a quadrennial energy review, which is actually done by the Department of Energy in conjunction with a White House-led interagency task force. So that one is not just done by one department, but it's in the area of energy policy. Um, so it the model dates back about 20 years, but these other ones have only been instituted within the last decade. So you kind of hinted at this, but I'd like to delve a little deeper. So, and, and, and where I'm going with, with the departments that are conducting these major quadrennial reviews, do they use them to directly produce a strategic plan? And, and, and do they typically engage in separate efforts to translate the ideas or big concepts from the quadrennial review reports into actionable operational guidance? And to what extent is a, are these reviews a good strategic planning tool? These quadrennial reviews generally have not been the direct way that these agencies have produced what is called the strategic plan of the agency. And here it's a situation of different things being mandated uh, and generating different processes for them because the mandates are come from different places. So uh, in the case of the Defense Department, for instance, Congress mandated this quadrennial defense review. And the mandate from Congress simply says the Defense Department needs to do an assessment of various issues related to defense and write a report to Congress about U.S. defense strategy every four years. And then separately, there's this um, Government Performance and Results Act requirement that agencies produce strategic plans. That was a separate requirement. And so the Defense Department has sort of treated that separately. And that's the case for other agencies. So in theory, these things should work together really well. Yeah. It's kind of obvious that, you know, doing this um, systematic strategic review would be a great way to then develop your strategic plan. In practice, they've been um, a bit more disjointed and these agencies that do these big quadrennial reviews, they put a lot of time into these reviews because they're very um, thorough. There are all these studies being done, working groups, takes months and months to do them, in some cases as much as 18 months to do a quadrennial review. And then after that's all done, they write this report, uh, big report. These reports sometimes resulting from the quadrennial reviews can be 100, 200, 300 pages or more. And um, then they may have the feeling, understandably so, that they've sort of done the strategic planning thing and now it's time to move on. But then they still have this other requirement that they have to actually produce something that's a real strategic plan because the difference is these quadrennial review reports are more like broad vision statements. They're not very operationally oriented where they give clear guidance to agencies or to the personnel within agencies about exactly what to do. It's more sort of setting out, you know, this is our, you know, vision for the department and in some cases, there are there are concrete proposals in there uh, for steps that the agency should take, um, but it's not really giving direct operational guidance to people. Uh, so subsequent things need to happen to actually translate that into really direct operational guidance that personnel can 
used in a more concrete way. So, you know, what are the benefits of engaging in such a review? Like, like, like how can such a review help leaders advance institutional priorities, generate buy-in among agency personnel and external stakeholders? How do they do that? The two um, benefits I think these quadrennial reviews have are, um, first, generating buy-in, and second, ensuring that long-term trends and risks are being taken into account. One, um, the strategic plan may not be as good, actually, because it didn't take into account the knowledge that people have who are actual, you know, frontline operators who are, you know, out in the field doing the things that the agency does, implementing programs. They may know things about, you know, why certain programs aren't working, for instance, that the people, you know, at headquarters may not be aware of if they don't, you know, consult systematically with those people. Um, Secondly, the personnel throughout the agency may not really feel invested in the strategic plan if they haven't been part of the process. And so the strategic plan may come out, may sound great, but people throughout the agency may not really feel like it's, you know, important to them to what they're doing. So the buy-in is important. And so the the quadrennial review, by having um, a more structured process, it provides a means of integrating these people into the process through formal working groups or consultations. You can have, you know, town hall meetings throughout the country where you're, um, you know, meeting with folks on the private sector or state and local agencies, um, and the formal process helps you do that. The second benefit of the quadrennial reviews is they provide a mechanism for a more systematic um, assessment of trends in the sort of broader environment that affects the agency. Um, And so by having this more kind of structured formal process, it's a way to also make sure that there is being careful attention to these long-term trends. And if you do things more informally, you may not, you know, get um, as, um, you know, systematic of a sense of what's going on in the external environment. What can be learned from the Department of Defense's Quadrennial Defense Review, QDR? We will explore this question and so much more on our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors return. The latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine, and with each edition I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Professor Jordan Tama, author of the IBM Center Report, Maximizing the Value of Cardinal Strategic Planning. Uh, Jordan, your report for the IBM Center um, has a handful of case studies, and I'd like to delve into each one of them if we can. And the first one up um, that you profile is the Defense Department... Uh, and the Quadrennial Defense Review to QDR. Would you tell us more about the QDR? Uh, Why does it represent the most well-established, well-honed Quadrennial Review, and why was it mandated? So I'll talk first about why it was mandated. There's an interesting political story about a lot of these Quadrennial Reviews, which 
sound like they're just about good governance, which is part of what they are about. But there's often a political motivation behind them, too. And in some cases, this has to do with the relationship between Congress and the executive branch. So in the case of the Quadrennial Defense Review, some members of Congress back in the 1990s who were pro-defense members of Congress thought that the Defense Department was not um, transforming itself quickly enough to adapt to changes after the Cold War and thought there was a need for more major defense investments to address emerging security challenges. And they thought creating a QDR would kind of give the Defense Department an impetus to have to think about how the international environment is changing and then, as a result of that, make new investments in defense weapon systems, essentially. So it was a way to kind of push different kinds of um, investments on the Defense Department and then also help Congress oversee the department. So members of Congress felt that um, if the Defense Department does a quadrennial defense review where at the end of the process they have to give a report to Congress, Congress can then look at that report and then hold the Defense Department accountable and say, okay, you told us in your quadrennial defense review that you were going to do X. You know, how come you haven't done this? Or it can help Congress make its own decisions about the defense budget. So the Quadrennial Defense Review Report goes to Congress. It says, you know, these are our defense priorities. Members of Congress who care about defense could then say, okay, well, you know, if these are our five uh, priorities, then, you know, we need to be spending money here and not there. Um, So it it can be helpful to Congress um, in a constructive way. So that was the origins of it. It's not just longest standing Quadrennial Review, but I'd say the most well-honed quadrennial review, in part because the Defense Department has a very strong tradition of doing strategic planning. So not just because of this quadrennial process, but more generally, the military has a strong culture of strategic planning. You know, military organizations have to plan very carefully for you know war. So it kind of comes naturally to folks in the Defense Department to do something like this. People don't question the value of doing um, st- strategic planning exercise generally. Um, although a lot of folks in DOD find the QDR process itself um, frustrating, and I'm happy to talk about that. How has the process uh, evolved over time? And who's involved, and how long does it take? Yeah, so each quadrant defense review has been a bit different, mainly reflecting the different um, style or approach of the Secretary of Defense and other senior defense leaders, and also reflecting just differences of the timing. Generally, the QDR is a very kind of systematic process. It's led by folks in the office of the Secretary of Defense, so so civilians in the office of Secretary of Defense who are in the policy office and generally responsible for kind of overall policy uh, development um, on defense. And they oversee a set of working groups which involve not just people from the office of the Secretary of Defense, but um, people from all the military services, so uniformed military officers from the Army and the Navy and the Air Force and the Marine Corps and also the um, Joint Staff, which is the you know part of the military that's integrative that brings together um, each of the different military services, and then these people you know work together in working groups and through those working groups digest the results of studies that are done um, to assess the long-term strategic environment that could affect defense. Um, policy and defense spending. So they'll assess, you know, they uh, look at scenarios for what the world could look like in the future, 10 years, 20 years into the future. And then through those scenarios, they 
make assessments of, okay, uh, you know, if this scenario plays out and, you know, the assessment is that this is, you know, a reasonable possibility that this could play out, what defense weapon systems will we need? So it's used to drive especially the decisions on um, investments in weapon systems, which for defense are are key because that's a huge part of the defense budget is the, you know, procurement and acquisition of weapon systems. And but the process has varied a bit, um, partly based on the just personality of the Secretary of Defense. So I'll give you one story on that. So um, Donald Rumsfeld came in um, as George W. Bush's Defense Secretary in 2001 and started, well, even before 9-11, given the timeline of these quadrennial reviews, they're done in the first year, um, and it needed to be done by the beginning. Actually, that quadrennial review at the time needed to be done by September of 2001, so he had he only had nine months from himself. But he thought this whole quadrennial review process was a waste of time because it was going it was viewed as captured by the bureaucracy. Basically, in the end, Rumsfeld had to kind of let a QDR process happen, even though he didn't really want it. But it was not a very good QDR because it, you know, he hadn't really treated it seriously. Other secretaries of defense have considered it to be valuable and have, you know, given it um, more support. Well, I mean, they think what they're doing will get will be able, enable them to realize the vision that their mission is. So, I mean, it's not something that's, exactly. you're not casting aspersions right. by, by it's just hard to bring something so big and find a, and marry it up into a, a single vision, a unitary vision. Right. That's, that's right. Um, so that's, an, that's a, a good way of putting it. So if you're a secretary of defense or another senior leader, and this is true in the other agencies as well, who wants to, you know, um, reform the department, uh, move it in some new directions, a very structured process is going to be harder to get sort of really kind of cutting edge ideas out of that. Um, so that's one shortcoming. But it also has the, the positive, you know, aspect that I mentioned earlier, which is it does create buy-in. So it's sort of like a trade-off. If you want more innovation, this isn't the way to go. Buy-in is really important and it does tend to be important and this is still valuable. The other shortcoming that can exist with these processes is they're not um, always as tied to operational guidance. And so these reviews, the Quadrennial Defense Review is an example of this. The Quadrennial Defense Review report um, is very broad. It sets out broad defense goals. It has some more specific content. It does tend to have content about certain investments in weapons programs, saying we are going to go forward with certain kinds of investments. In some cases, it says, you know, this is going to be the size of the, you know, Army or the size of the Marine Corps, things like that. But generally, there's not much that's very specific or operational. And so you still need to do a lot of stuff after it to actually tell uh, parts of the department, okay, what are we actually supposed to do to carry this out? And that's not always given as much attention. I found it interesting in reading your report that um, it's far more common uh, for the QDR in this case to generate new initiatives or new ideas, I guess, then prioritize among established programs or shift resources from one program to another. So I found that interesting. Has that always been the case or is that becoming? Yeah, that's, I'd say with the QDR and with all the other quadrennial reviews I've looked at, there's been very little um, prioritization and very rare that um, resources are being shift from one part of the department to another. And this is because that tends to be more contentious within the department. They're broad vision statements, and there are sometimes new initiatives that come out of them. So it's not the case that they don't have any concrete content. There often will be new initiatives um, that are driven by changes in the world, new events that have happened. In the QDR case, this occurred 
with the post-9-11 wars where the United States was getting into nation building, which it hadn't done for many decades. And the QDRs in that context, for instance, in 2006 and 2010, uh, which were the two QDRs that came out really kind of in the heart of the Iraq and Afghanistan war uh, context, um, called for um, shifts in defense strategy and also defense investments toward um, activities and um, systems that were well designed to fighting the kind of battles the United States was engaged in in Iraq and Afghanistan rather than is it preparing for a long-term potential conflict with China, uh, which was something that the you know, U.S. military had been focused on for for decades. Um, and so uh, there were new new investments that came out that were you know clear new initiatives. But this was really this was um, enabled by new funding being available. So this was at a time when the defense budget was going up, and so you could invest more in nation building without having to take away from systems designed to deter China, for instance. And so you could you were just doing you're just sort of adding rather than subtracting something. Um, and so the but the prioritization tends not to happen because that really um, tends to be too contentious for people in the department. Uh, one of the things I liked about your report is that after each case study, uh, you outline an assessment of the particular quadrennial review model that we're talking about. In this case, the QDR. I don't know. Did do you have any other things that you wanted to add in terms of assessment for the QDR? For the QDR, so overall, the value it's provided is that it's provided a mechanism for rigorous long-term assessment, the use of modeling and scenario forecasting and other sophisticated tools to assess what the strategic environment is going to be going into the future, 10, 20 years into the future. It's provided a means for the Secretary of Defense to get buy-in throughout the department for some changes that the Secretary thought were important or, or new initiatives. So secretaries, to the extent they see value in this in the QDR process, and some of them have seen um, a lot of value in it, others have seen less value in it, but when the secretaries who've seen a lot of value in the process have seen it as a way to get their initiatives institutionalized throughout the bureaucracy. Because if the QDR report says something is important for U.S. defense strategy, then everyone throughout the bureaucracy has to accept that, and it then becomes easier to get money allocated to that in the budget process. And so it's it's been useful in that sense. Where it's been less effective is that it hasn't always been as well t- connected to the budget process as it could be mm-hmm. and hasn't always been you know, implemented in terms of getting to operational guidance as thoroughly as it could be. And with defense, there's also a special challenge stemming from the concerns about keeping some some things secret. So there are critics of the QDR who say we should not be doing a QDR at all because why would we want to tell the rest of the world what our defense strategy, you know, for the next 10 or 20 years is we're signaling things that are better to keep private. And so actually there's legislation pending in Congress that would change the QDR to make it classified, the report classified, but just have an unclassified executive summary. And the idea is that then you'd be able to say more that's meaningful because if you if, if the report's unclassified, you're going to have a lot of vague statements, which is generally the case with the QDR. So the report is, is very broad and sometimes you know it's so broad that it may not be as meaningful as it could be if more specific statements were being made. How has the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, QHSR, helped DHS? We will explore this question and so much more 
when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. Who is David Shucklin? What is his leadership philosophy? What can we learn about him from his time leading the Veterans Health Administration? Join host Michael Keegan next week for a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a profile in leadership as he explores these questions and more. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Professor Jordan Tama, author of the IBM Center Report, Maximizing the Value of Cardinal Strategic Planning. So, uh, Jordan, the next one, the next case study you, you, you analyze or present is on the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, the uh, QHSR. Um, when and why did Congress mandate this? Congress mandated the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review in 2007. It was actually part of one of the major laws that Congress passed to implement recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. Interestingly, there there was a 9-11 Commission Implementation Act that was enacted in 2007. This was all part of trying to generally improve homeland security. The Homeland Security Department was only created in the aftermath of 9-11. It was created by a law passed in 2002, so it's a very new department. The main purpose of creating the Homeland Security Department was to promote more integration and coordination of Homeland Security efforts in the U.S. government, because prior to that, there were a lot of agencies that did things related to Homeland Security, but this was all very fragmented. And then so as part of that, the 9-11 Commission also thought it would be helpful to have a strategic planning exercise to help coordinate things in the department and Congress in particular, thought that requiring a quadrennial Homeland Security Review would lead to more integration because there was a problem in DHS, which really continues to this day, of the department being highly fragmented. And how have they been carried out? Could you tell us a little bit more about the process that was engaged um, over the last nine years, how things have changed? Uh, How did they build, did the department build a capacity to actually um, create the uh, QHSR? Yeah, so the first QHSR was conducted without that much um, strategic assessment or kind of strategic analysis. And this was really a function of limited capacity of the department. So the department at that point, and this was 2009, 2010, um, first two years of the Obama administration, that was when the first QHSR was carried out. DHS at that time did not have a lot of capacity to analyze what the strategic environment facing Homeland Security, you know, would be over the next 5, 10, uh, 15 years, didn't have the capacity to do um, uh, what's, you know, called risk analysis or risk assessment. It what are the risks to Homeland Security? Um, so instead, the first QHSR was really much more just about identifying what are the missions of the department. Um, it had less of an analytical component and was focused around just trying to reach some basic agreement on what are core missions of DHS. The second... QHSR was different because in the intervening years, DHS actually developed more analytical capacity. So in the Office of Policy and Strategy that that carries it out, they have hired more personnel and also integrated different 
offices so that now they have in-house the ability to conduct long-range analysis. And so the second QHSR began with a major risk analysis exercise where they actually considered future scenarios and what risks would be presented to DHS potentially and then tried to use that to inform the uh, report that they put out. So in the last segment, we talked about the Quadrennial Defense Review. How has it informed the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review? How are they similar? How are they different? So the Quadrennial Defense Review has informed the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review a lot. It's not the only way, but uh, in other ways also, DHS has modeled some of its um, analytical work on DOD, mainly because DOD is viewed as a department that does this relatively well. They have a sound, strong culture and tradition of doing strategic planning um, in rigorous ways. And so there has been actually a lot of learning that's um, gone on across the departments. And so part of this is uh, reflected in the quadrennial reviews. Um, DHS has um, started to do um, long-term assessment risk analysis in the quadrennial Homeland Security Review um, in a way that's, I think, quite self-consciously modeled on the um, QDR. And so, you know, you mentioned earlier that the principal value of the home, Homeland Security Review, the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, uh, to date has been to advance uh, integration, yeah. um, to make literally the reality of a one DHS that uh, a reality. Um, can you elaborate on some of the key outcomes of the last two reviews? Sure. So the first <laughs> review, the key outcome was to identify five core missions for the department, which sounds very basic, but there was really no common sense um, in DHS of what the missions were. I think when most people, probably most people outside DHS, think of DHS, the first thing they think about is terrorism, preventing terrorism, um, and um, would probably assume that that's the mission of DHS. But if you look at DHS, which brought 18 different agencies together, those agencies are doing lots of other things. So there was this basic question, well, okay, so what's our mission if we're not, you know, really about preventing terrorism? So by looking at what all these different agencies did, they came up with a set of five core missions which capture well the vast majority of things that are being done throughout the department. So it's preventing terrorism, that's one mission, but also securing and managing borders, enforcing and administering immigration laws, safeguarding and securing cyberspace, and ensuring resilience to disasters. So the QHSR you know, expressed that these are the five missions, and then they actually articulated some goals and objectives within each of those missions. So this was still pretty broad. Some of the goals and objectives were a little bit more specific than that, but um, that was the basic idea. And um, people I spoke to throughout DHS generally agreed that these missions are now widely accepted. I mean, people are people are aware of them. If you ask people, you know, what the mission of DHS is, they might not be able to recite exactly what those five missions are, but they would know that there have been, you know, five missions that have been, you know, articulated and, and this sort of is, um, you know, a basic common knowledge. So that, that was a, a main achievement. The other um, thing it's done is some more concrete um, management reform. So I'll give an example of one concrete step that came out of the the QHSR, um, the department's 
accounting had been very fragmented. So you had different um, agencies, budgets being processed in a fragmented way. And to integrate the department as part of the QHSR process, they created a new accounting system where instead of just having um, the um, budgets of each component of the agency treated separately, they integrate them so they so that senior officials can see, okay, how much are we spending on preventing terrorism across all the components? How much are we spending on securing and managing borders across all of the components and then even within, you know, smaller goals and objectives? So that's all designed to try to um, integrate the department. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you point out a couple of things. I'd like to kind of uh, pull together my last two questions on the Homeland Security Review. And that is, um, what were some of the shortcomings and you know, given your research, what is your assessment of the QHSR? So there are a couple of shortcomings um, that have been identified actually by the General Accountability Office. So GAO has um, reviewed some of these reviews actually. And what they assessed from the first um, and second QHSRs were that um, the engagement with external stakeholders was not as um, meaningful as it could be. So generally, one of the values of doing these quadrennial reviews is that it provides a mechanism through which you can engage with external stakeholders. DHS is very reliant on external stakeholders. Um, state and local agencies, tremendously reliant on them to um, do things related to preventing terrorism, working with police, local police forces, for instance. Um, but also private sector, if you think of an area like cyberspace, where you know DHS has a lot of responsibility now for um, cyber issues domestically, but most of that is, you know, in the private sector. Um, most of you know America's um, cyber um, activities are not in the government; they're in the private sector. So um, DHS really needs to engage thoroughly with um, external stakeholders to do strategic planning well. And what um, GAO assessed was that um, it had engaged with these stakeholders, but it was more to sort of try to get their validation of what they had already decided. So, you know, they had developed a draft report and then they, you know, send it to the stakeholders and get their feedback rather than actually getting their input earlier in the process. And so that's an area where I think DHS can still um, improve. And um, I think also they still can improve in, in connecting the quadrennial review more closely to um, operational guidance. So I think for good reason, they focused their quadrennial review really on um, uh, generating um, this broad agreement on what the overall missions of the department are. But now they need to go to the next step and make it more operationally uh, useful. Yeah. Why did the U.S. Department of State start doing the Quadrennial Diplomacy and Development Review? And what lessons can be learned for all federal departments as they develop their strategic plans? We'll explore these questions and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour, A Conversation with Authors, returns. From forging a unity of effort in homeland security, to strategizing today how to feel the U.S. Army of tomorrow, to pursuing affordable housing, eliminating fraud, waste, and abuse in healthcare, and securing cyberspace, the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine delves into a diverse set of topics and public management issues facing us today. 
Hi, I'm Michael Keegan, the editor of the Business of Government magazine. And with each edition, I present the leadership stories of a select group of public servants and complement their frontline experience with practical insights from thought leaders, merging real-world experience with practical scholarship. The purpose is not to offer a definitive solution to many of the management challenges facing government executives, but to provide a resource from which to draw practical, actionable recommendations on how best to confront these issues. Check out the latest edition of the Business of Government magazine and find out. We bring you insights and interviews from government executives who are changing the way government does business. Download or order a free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Who is Dr. David Shulkin? What is his leadership philosophy? What can we learn about him from his time leading the Veterans Health Administration? Join host Michael Keegan next week for a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a profile in leadership as he explores these questions and more. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Professor Jordan Tama, author of the IBM Center Report, Maximizing the Value of Quadrennial Strategic Planning. In, in this particular segment, I want to talk about the, uh, a, a quadrennial review you, you researched and analyzed that was actually decided and, and, and generated by the department itself, which is, um, you know, why and when did the U.S. Department of State decide to draft the Quadrennial Diplomacy and Development Review? Well, this is an interesting story, I think. So the Quadrennial Diplomacy and Development Review began when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State in 2009, first year of the Obama administration. She made a public announcement in the summer of 2009 saying that she was going to start a Quadrennial Diplomacy and Development Review. There were a couple of reasons why she did this. One was that Congress was starting to advance legislation that would mandate this. And for um, Clinton, it was preferable to do it herself rather than Congress to impose certain mandates on the department. So she was preempting Congress by doing this. But I think separately, she also saw certain value in it, both political and more good governance, um, you could say. So um, the good governance reason was that she saw ways in which the State Department was operating in an outdated manner or areas where she thought it could be reformed and made to be a more effective agency. Um, Politically, um, she thought that doing a quadrennial diplomacy and development review would help her make the case to Congress and also to the White House for funding the State Department because the State Department is an agency that's tended to have weak support from Congress. Mm especially struggles to compete for funding with the Defense Department, which is, um, of course, sort of the giant, you know, the giant um, dominating department in the foreign policy and national security domain. And she had served on the Armed Services Committee in the Senate. And she said something very interesting when she created the QDDR. She said when she served on the Armed Services Committee, she saw how the Defense Department used the QDR effectively to make a case to Congress for supporting what the Defense Department wanted. And she thought the QDDR would be a way to do the same thing for the State Department. So she was actually very forthright about, you know, that political motivation. I think that was a, you know, a smart judgment of hers. Uh, 
No, I was just wondering. What, what, so, how were the first and second iterations? Uh, how did they differ? So the first QDDR was broadly similar to the QDR, and also the um, Quadrennial Homeland Security Review in that it was very structured. There were working groups. It was led by the head of the uh, policy planning office at the State Department. It was quite comprehensive. It looked at all kinds of issues, um, you know, all major issues uh, having to do with the State Department. The second review was much more informal, um, and it was carried out when John Kerry had become Secretary of State. And some people who participated in the first QDDR or observed it had felt that it was it was too big. It tried to do too much. It, there were lots of working groups. The report was covered lots and lots of uh, things, and they thought it would be helpful to make the second one more focused on a few strategic priorities. And so the second one, uh, the report was itself much shorter, mm -hmm. and it didn't cover as much, but it was focused on a few priorities, and the process was looser. There were not these formal working groups. Um, it was still led by a QDDR office. So one of the things that happened also that was interesting is um, the State Department created an office on the QDDR, which is a permanent office designed to not just lead the QDDR process, but carry forward implementation after the report comes out. So that, I think, was a good idea. Um, and so that office led the second QDDR, and it was done much more just consultatively, where they, you know, spoke with people throughout the department, spoke with external stakeholders, and then they um, put together a report. So, you know, um, as you, given your research, uh, could you outline for us some of, would you, what's your assessment of the QDDR? So it's led to some concrete changes, some organizational changes. So the first QDDR resulted in a number of reorganizations in the State Department. Clinton, Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State, thought that the State Department was not competing effectively with some other agencies, especially the Defense Department, um, but also Treasury Department on some important international issues. So she, through the QDDR, created a number of new bureaus. A Conflict and Stabilization Bureau was created. Um, a new Energy Bureau was created. A new Office of the Chief Economist was created. And interestingly, these were all areas where um, other agencies were very active. So if you think of energy, obviously the Department of Energy is very involved in that. Chief an Office of the Chief Economist, well, the Treasury Department generally, and as well as Commerce, are very involved on international economic issues. Um, conflict and stabilization operations, that's an area where Defense Department is very, very involved. And so her idea was that we need more capacity to be able to sort of compete with these other agencies and have stronger standing in the interagency on these issues. And so that, so a number of new bureaus were created. And there were also some other changes to personnel policies that were created, mainly designed to try to um, modernize personnel policies, make them more flexible, bring more, in, uh, incentivize more innovation by creating um, uh, new standards for hiring that would give greater emphasis on um, innovation and also interagency experience. There are actually quite a few, you know, specific reforms that came out of it. The second QDDR developed a proposal for a new hub for data analytics okay. in the State Department because um, the State Department's been criticized for not exactly being on the cutting edge in terms of its use of data and information. It has a fairly, you know, traditional 
culture centered in the Foreign Service, which is based on diplomatic reporting and uh, negotiation. And so there's this was an effort to um, make the department more oriented toward using um, data in a systematic way. So, you know, there's another one that you um – Another quadrennial review that your report focuses on, which is uh, the energy review. We won't have a chance to talk about it today, uh, but I want to direct our listeners to your report, your full report, because they can get a sense of what that is. And it's a very interesting read. What I'd like to do now is transition to the recommendations you offer in your report. Could you outline the key recommendations you offer to departments that conduct quadrennial reviews? A couple of my main recommendations are to make sure that these departments are balancing a couple of important um, aspects of strategic planning and not emphasizing one too much to the exclusion of the other. So one um, example is balancing top-down direction and meaningful engagement with a broad array of stakeholders. So one of the models of strategic planning is just to have you know, folks in the strategy office or policy office kind of decide on a strategic plan, and this is kind of top-down. They just, you know, develop a strategic plan, and then it's, you know, sent out to the rest of the department. So that's top-down, but very poor on stakeholder engagement. The quadrennial reviews can be good on stakeholder engagement because they tend to have these working groups, and um, they're very inclusive, usually. Um, people throughout the department are involved. Um, but where they can fall a bit short is when there's not also top-down direction to make sure that the quadrennial review um, is moving forward and not just staying at a kind of lowest common denominator um, or status quo um, outcome. And so um, the way I've seen this done well is when the secretary of the department, um, some secretaries of defense have done this, provide guidance at the outset of the review to say, okay, the terms of reference, um, they can be called. Let's say, this is what I want this quadrennial review to be focused on. I want decisions to be made on this set of issues. And then it just it prevents the process from becoming so diffuse that it doesn't really move forward. So that's one thing. Another um, important recommendation, I think, is to have both strategic assessment or analysis and operational planning. So these quadrennial reviews tend to be very good ways of ensuring that long-range analysis is being done, and that's extremely important because um, we need more of that in the government generally. Um, but they have not always been as strong in um, translating that analysis into more concrete operational guidance. And so you need agencies need to ensure there's enough time being given to both of those things and create a calendar for strategic planning that, you know, give, allocates sufficient time to do strategic assessment and then also allocates sufficient time to do operational planning. And then third, I'd say, is um, developing more analytical capacity. So some um, departments have done this well. Some departments already had it, like the Defense Department has very extensive analytical capacity. Um, Department of Homeland Security has developed more analytical capacity um, as as it's done a couple of um, quadrennial reviews, and that's been helpful. Um, some other departments that don't even do quadrennial reviews have made big strides in analytical capacity. Um, the Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA, has um, does not do something called a quadrennial review, but they do very robust um, 
strategic planning, and they've created something called the Strategic Studies Group um, within the department that does long-term analysis. And they had initially hired um, consultants to do this kind of analysis. Then they had a, I think, really smart idea. They hired the consultants to train their own people in how to do um, strategic assessment so that they wouldn't have to rely on consultants for this. And now there's even a, a course for VA personnel on strategic foresight. And um, so they've developed this capacity. So I think more agencies need to do that. So what, what are some of the recommendations you offer in your report to the, that's directed to the White House or the Congress? So for White House and Congress, one important thing is to synchronize better quadrennial reviews and the production of agency strategic plans or to get these requirements, you know, working together. Um, in that Congress passed a number of laws mandating certain quadrennial reviews and then separately it passed the Government Performance and Results Act, which mandates agency strategic plans and agencies have basically treated these as separate things. And so... Um, I would like to see those laws reformed. So, for instance, for the laws mandating quadrennial reviews, um, the legislation should also uh, require that the quadrennial review process also generates an agency strategic plan. And so it's, it'll be sort of worked into the quadrennial review rather than left as a afterthought. And then also, I think we need more cross-cutting um, strategic planning. So most of these quadrennial reviews have been done within one department or one agency, and so many issues are, involve a lot of agencies. Pretty much all issues involve multiple agencies. Um, there's an interesting new model with the quadrennial energy review where the White House created a quadrennial energy review, and there's an interagency task force led by the White House um, but the staff work is basically done by the Department of Energy. And this was done because energy policy involves a lot of um, agencies, and there was a feeling that we need more coordination across these agencies. And so for ish other issues where it's not really centered so heavily in one agency, we need more kind of cross-cutting strategic planning efforts, and the White House needs to be involved in that. It's hard to do that because the White House is sort of overburned it, overburdened. They have you know, so many things they need to do don't have an enormous staff. So they can't really do all the strategic planning, but they can oversee it, you know, at the top level. And then agencies can, you know, be doing the bulk of the work to actually conduct the strategic review. So, Jordan, what prompted your interest in this area? And perhaps you can highlight some of your research methods you employed. Sure. I got interested in this because I noticed the, that there was a proliferation of quadrennial reviews. So I got interested this in this around 2009 um, and 2010, which was when the Quadrennial Diplomacy and Development Review was being conducted for the first time, and also the Quadrennial Homeland Security Review was being conducted for the first time. And before that, there was really just the Quadrennial Defense Review. Um, there had also been a Quadrennial Intelligence Community Review, but that never got much attention. It was classified. But this was at the beginning of the Obama administration. There started to seem to be a proliferation of this. So I th I wondered, first of all, well, why is this happening? Um, and there was a puzzle here because um, many people who work on the Quadrennial Defense Review um, find it to be a very frustrating exercise. Um, so to give 
one example, um, Anthony Cordesman, a former um, DOD official, once said, if God really hates you, you may end up working on a quadrennial defense review. So then that raises the interesting question, well, why would other agencies want to do this if people in DOD don't like doing it? Um, and so that was why I thought that would be interesting to study. And then I also thought it would be interesting to look at, well, what is the actual value of these things? Because there are mixed views on that within the government. Some people um, have been very critical or cynical about these reviews, think they you know, take a ton of time and in the end you know, don't amount to that much. Other people see you know, significant value in them. So I wanted to assess what their actual um, value was. And you know, what I found that I think was interesting is that even though um, people who work on these things tend to um, find them rather frustrating because they are very time-consuming and, you know, the um, process of coming to agreement can be very challenging, you know, managing all these working groups. Uh, the process is not, you know, I think a fun one for most of the participants. But for senior leaders of these departments, they can still be quite valuable because they give some direction, strategic direction to the department. And so, um that's, I think, why you get you know mixed feelings. And for Congress, actually, they can be quite valuable because they give Congress a way to oversee the department. So I thought all of that was interesting. So and the the way I researched this um, was mainly by interviewing people. I interviewed more than fifty people who um, work in agencies that have done quadrennial reviews. Um, in many cases, um, people who worked on the quadrennial reviews themselves, but also. Uh, people who weren't working on a quadrennial review but work elsewhere in the department to try to understand what impact the review had. Um, I interviewed some senior leaders about how they saw the value of these reviews. I interviewed um, congressional staff um, about how they saw the value of these reviews and some experts outside government. And then I also looked at the actual review, the reports that came out of these reviews and the recommendations that came out of the reviews to um, assess to what extent some significant changes um, resulted from the reviews. That's great. So I want to thank you for coming in today and spending some time discussing your research uh, for the IBM Center Report, maximizing the value of quadrennial strategic planning. Uh, thanks again. Okay. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with authors exploring ideas for improving government effectiveness with Professor Jordan Tama, author of the IBM Center Report, maximizing the value of quadrennial strategic planning. You may order or download a free copy of this or any IBM Center report at businessofgovernment.org. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Who is Dr. David Shulkin? What is his leadership philosophy? What can we learn about him from his time leading the Veterans Health Administration? Join host Michael Keegan next week for a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, a profile in leadership as he explores these questions and more. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m.